Good afternoon and welcome to the Middle East Forum's Friday webinars with project directors and our guests. My name is Ben Baird and I'm the Deputy Director of Islamist Watch and I head the Forum's Islamism and Politics Project to monitor and expose Islamist political activity across North America. Our guest today is Navid Mahebi with the National Union for Democracy in Iran. Like many Iranian critics of the regime in Tehran, Mr. Mohebi was arrested in Iran in 2010 and charged with acting against national security, insulting the Supreme Leader, and propagating against the regime. At just 18 years old at the time, the Committee to Protect Journalists called him the youngest blogger in the world serving time in prison. Fortunately, Mr. Mohebi escaped the regime and eventually settled in the United States where he organizes anti-regime protests, advocates for Iranian Americans on the Hill, and fights for justice, equality, and democracy in Iran. If you have questions for our guest today, please leave them in the Q&A box below, and we'll try to get, them, get to them as soon as possible in the final portion of this webinar. Mr. Mohebi, thank you for joining us. I'd like to ask you first, we in the West are accustomed to free speech. Uh, we can freely criticize our government. We can point out uh, the problems with its senior most leaders and, and their policies. Just how suffocating is it living under the mullahs in Iran and, and what do they do to their critics? Thank you for your nice introduction. I really appreciate it. I also want to extend my uh, greetings to everyone who is watching this webinar, uh, the Middle East Room leadership, and also you, Ben, for uh, giving me the opportunity to share my views on such an important topic. Um, the Iranian regime's brutality started on day one of its in inception, and I think that its uh, barbarism is a common knowledge now because the Iranian regime's terrorism has taken victims far beyond Iranian borders. Um, but as someone who has been following the Iranian politics uh, for the past uh, 16 years, I can tell you that the Islamic Republic has done anything you can imagine uh, against Iranian dissidents, especially in the past four and five years. Um, the regime uh, has carried out an unprecedented campaign of repression and uh, crushing of dissident voices in 2018, because that year was the start of the biggest uh, uprising against the Iranian regime, which continued four times more uh, up until 2020. Hundreds of uh, thousands of protesters uh, took to the street demanding an end to the regime but unfortunately, the regime crushed them all. In 2018, uh, repression got to a level that Amnesty International called it a year of shame for Iran. In the November 2019 uprising, more than 1,500 uh, protesters were killed, which unfortunately didn't get enough uh, international media coverage. This was when you may recall, uh, the regime shut off the internet and massacred people in darkness. There are hundreds of uh, political prisoners sentenced to lengthy uh, imprisonment and the regime continues to abuse them while the international community nowadays is uh, trying to revive the Iran nuclear program. Hmm. Uh, thank you. In February, 2020, you were part of a demonstration outside Iran's interest section office in Washington, DC, which it actually uh, shares with the Pakistani embassy. Uh, this include, included hundreds of Iranian dissidents of various political backgrounds coming together to rally against Iran's 41st anniversary celebration of the Islamic Resolution. 
tell us about the Iranian diaspora for a moment. Uh, is this a large group? Are they organized under a single banner or represented by a single group? And lastly, what do they want for Iran? Um, some estimate that there are a million and a half Iranians living in the United States. Uh, the biggest wave of immigration, as you may know, was uh, after uh, the 1979 revolution in which many former government officials uh, and their families, business leaders, Iranian artists, and uh, member of, uh, members of Iranian minority groups, such as Persian Jews, fled the country. And during the Iran-Iraq war, we saw another wave of immigration. And then I would say the last wave was uh, in early 2000s uh, or after the green movements uh, back in 2008, 2009. One thing that perhaps connect all these groups is that most Iranians living in the United States fled the oppression of the regime in one way or another, whether for political, religious, or sociocultural reason. As I said, there are a significant number of Iranian religious uh, minorities in the US, and, um, but the majority of Iranian Americans tend to be very secular and uh, highly educated every year. Uh, university students come to the United States to study for a uh, master's program or PhD programs. But if I tell you what they think of Iran-US policy, uh, a few years ago, there was a poll, I think in 2019, independent polling done by Zogby, which said that the number one hope for US foreign policy towards Iran um, from Iranian American community was uh, to focus on human rights and democracy. I think that the majority of Iranian Americans want uh, freedom for Iran and the same rights that they are enjoying here in the United States for their own people back in Iran. Sure, and that's certainly not what we're hearing from the, the media here. So you have a history of speaking out against Iran's soft power and influence in the US. Uh, tell us why this issue is particularly important to you. Well, um, when I moved to the United States nine years ago and quickly began to follow the discourse surrounding Iran in this town, I soon realized that the regime I had escaped from was very popular in the media, academia, and think tanks in the United States, um, which took me by surprise. And this was a cultural shock to me. I grew up watching Voice of America Persian uh, uh, during the President Bush era. And the kind of messaging that we would get back then was that uh, America stands with freedom-seeking people all around the world and that the US recognizes the Iranian regime as part of the axis of the devil. And then when I was here, I was like, how is it possible that these people who are living in a democracy somehow push regime-friendly agenda? And um, I have to tell you that I, I was naive. I didn't know any better about, you know, different views that exist uh, in this country. And uh, even worse, unfortunately, I would say that the US government understanding of the regime's influence was very weak and totally insufficient. And this was uh, devastating to me. I could not tolerate the regime that uh, commits uh, crimes against humanity, against my people, has so many friends in this town. So I thought to myself, I would be best uh, or most useful to my compatriots by confronting their oppressors here in the West. And I think that uh, Iranians deserve U.S. solidarity and support. As we are seeing nowadays, uh, the US, there's a bipartisan support for 
uh, Ukrainians, uh, I think that Iranians deserve the same kind of support from the US government and a bipartisan support. One of the groups you have organized against is the National Iranian American Council or NIAC, uh, which has been called Iran's lobby group in the United States. In 2019, you were part of a viral hashtag campaign in protest outside of NIAC's office in Washington, DC. How does NIAC support the regime's priorities in Washington and how does it work against the interests of Iranian Americans? Uh, I have to tell you this, the regime's influence is far more than groups such as NIAC you just mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, uh, let me give you some, you know, a characteristics of the Iran lobby and, or maybe tell you who are the Iran lobby. We have a massive network of journalists, academics, public figures, cultural and religious centers, you know, religious centers here in the U.S., civil society organizations who are working to push the interests of the Islamic uh, Republic. And what kind of tactics do they use to push the agenda? Uh, one of my great friends, uh, Kaveh Shahrus, put it this way. He said that he's an expert on Iran's uh, soft power. Uh, Iran lobby, I mean, all these groups that I just mentioned, they always try to minimize the stories uh, about bad behavior of the Islamic Republic. For example, when they do something wrong and they get caught and they try to minimize those kind of stories. And instead they focus on bad behaviors of uh, regimes adversaries like Saudi or, 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 or of course Israel, they, all, they are very uh, focused on that. And the power of their influence on the mainstream media and, and uh, main, uh, major newspapers that they have, the kind of power that they have, they inject, you know, kind of regime friendly narratives and they try to limit any discussion of human rights, democracy or regime change. And um, of course they do um, also uh, everything they can to uh, delegitimize dissidents who are living in the United States and uh, promote their own people. Mm. And uh, I also want to add this, uh, their strategy, in my opinion, has been very effective because uh, uh, most important mainstream media uh, is taken up by people who advance the Iran lobby agenda. Uh, you see all the time on uh, news outlets, they are invited to provide their analysis and uh, uh, you never hear, uh, you know, the aspiration of Iranian people from them for, um, you know, their fighting industry demanding uh, human rights and democracy. It's virtually never discussed. And uh, in terms of their influence on US universities, uh, there are so many academics that they are in touch with. And unfortunately, there are centers within those universities that serve as a place uh, where people that, you know, have kind of uh, ties or, you know, they favor policies that uh, benefit the Iranian regime. They occupy important positions, um, and which is very unfortunate. Sure. So you mentioned uh, that, of course, Iran's soft power uh, in the United States is much bigger than NIAC. But at one point, NIAC was quite influential, especially during the Obama years when it helped coordinate meetings between members of Congress and Iran's foreign minister, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, it doesn't seem to have that same influence today That's right. uh, with Congress and the Biden administration. 
What do you think explains this loss of influence with NIAC? Um, thanks to the advocacy work of groups such as yourself, um, Iranian dissident activists and uh, naming and championing campaigns on social media and protests that were organized by Iranian dissidents here in the US. Uh, I think the US government has been slowly understanding uh, what's going on. And I think that the US Intel community now understand that many analysis that these people promised would happen, such as uh, behavior change. Uh, for example, after JCPOA, uh, they said that, uh, you know, if you sign the deal with the Iranian regime, their behavior is going to change, which turned out to be wrong. And I think they also could see Nayak positions on Iran policy 90% of the time. I don't have this you know, exact number, but I, it is just my estimation. 90% um, of the time, uh, far very close to that of the regime. And we also see in recent years that uh, the regime has become more brazen in its terrorism. We witnessed the arrest of many Iranian regime operatives and talking heads in the US in the past few years. Um, and we see uh, Iranian regimes attack on uh, US bases in the Middle East. And last year, of course, their attempt to abduct an Iranian American journalist in Brooklyn, New York. So I think the Iranian regime's behavior became um, indefensible for Nayak. And Iranian Americans have found out that uh, they were fooled by groups like, uh, like Nayak and uh, that they don't speak for our community. And I think that now most people know this. Sure, so as you've laid out very clearly for us, Iran uses many different methods to push its uh, soft power influence in the West. Um, but what else are they doing besides lobbying and working with the media? I'm thinking about things like election interference, cyber warfare. Uh, you, you mentioned the abduction of a journalist, some traditional espionage operations. Uh, can you discuss some of these alternative methods that Iran employs in America to support its agenda? Uh, you're exactly right. Um, I think one of them is coalition building. Uh, the regime has done a good job of involving other groups uh, that for some reason benefit from the same policies that they advocate for. For example, the far left groups or uh, isolationist uh, right wing groups. Uh, I think this allows them to become more uh, louder and also uh, stronger voice here in the United States. I also, the regime uh, heavily invested in American universities and has always aspired to influence American educational system. I remember uh, well um, reading an interview with uh, the former Iran UN ambassador in which he bragged that the regime invested in nearly 50 Iranian studies programs and Persian studies program uh, in major American universities. Um, to give you another example, I remember when Qasem Soleimani was killed by the US. Um, unfortunately, the US, uh, the mainstream media was quickly filled with the so-called analysts that glorified uh, Soleimani and uh, depicted him as a general who was a hero for Iranians and that he was, uh, you know, uh, best known for his fight against ISIS. And then Jabhat Zarif, former uh, foreign minister of the regime, had an interview around the same time and took credit for his ministry for pushing this narrative. He said that we did not want the regime's enemy 
like people like us to push their own narrative about Soleimani. Um, unfortunately, the deep political division that exists in this country creates an atmosphere that allows uh, US adversaries like the Iranian regime to exploit to their benefit. So you left uh, Iran in 2010 um, after, of course, being threatened with a lengthy jail sentence. And you've come to the United States, but you haven't fully escaped the regime's influence. Uh, describe to us how Iran's proxy organizations in the United States work to shut down criticism of the regime. So basically, how does Tehran make life difficult for Iranian dissidents here in the United States? Um, I think the most extreme way is perhaps uh, threats of lawsuits and legal battles. Um, obviously, they have tremendous financial resources. And in most cases, Iranian dissidents do not have that. Uh, um, but I would say targeting uh, an employer is the most common practice that I have seen happen to so many of my uh, friends and you know people around them. Um, I can give you dozens of examples of how they viciously created problems for people and their employment simply because they criticized them. In, in a few cases uh, also, um, I remember in, in one case exactly, parents of activists were summoned by the Iranian regime's intel back in Iran because they were outspoken uh, uh, you know, about these groups. And of course, um, accusation of ha harassments, they always use that, calling out you know, their opponents, uh, racist, misogynist. You know, they issue uh, public statements with signatures from their allies. Uh, they do anything they can to stifle the voice of their uh, opponents uh, here in the U uh, US and um, uh, their financial resources, I think, uh, is the main tool that they have to go after their opponents. Sure. So, so how, um, how would you suggest that the United States government or policymakers uh, combat the regime's disinformation here in the United States? What, what would you ask them to do? Uh, I'm personally very passionate about this issue. Uh, I think the best way any state can do to protect their citizen is to immunize them, not to fall for foreign propaganda and their influence campaign operations. I think uh, policymakers should engage with citizens and tell them how countries like Iran uh, take advantage of our openness and democratic, uh, democratic uh, values here in the United States. And also, I think uh, the U.S. inter community should actively engage with policymakers and warn them about tactics that uh, adversaries use. Uh, there's a consonance here in America about, for example, Russia and China's behavior, but unfortunately, not on Iran. I think the Iranian regime knows there are disagreements on how, uh, you know, between different actors here in the U.S. on how to approach the regime. So the mainstream politicians, in my opinion, should put aside their short-term goal and work together on foreign policy and national security affairs, at least, you know. Uh, um, to give you an example of the kind of work that I think they can do, in 2009, I remember the Attorney General uh, William Barr gave a fantastic speech about the methods uh, that the Chinese regime used to advance its uh, interests in the US. I think 
uh, same kind of a speech and advocacy, advocacy campaign raising awareness should happen on Iran's influence uh, uh, here uh, in the US. Uh, I think the US government is not doing enough, unfortunately. Uh, I hope that uh, uh, the same policies, policies that they adopt uh, for Russia and China, uh, the same thing will happen for Iranian regime's influence. Sure, so I wanna ask you one final question before we get to our audience questions, because uh, I think it's very important. Um, you mentioned earlier the anti-government protests in Iran. Uh, they were the large, and, and around November and December of 2019, they were the largest in the country since the Islamic Revolution itself. Um, this occurred actually as tensions escalated between the US and Iran, and as President Trump aggressively pursued sanctions against the government and his maximum pressure campaign. So I ask you, do sanctions work to promote regime change? And is that something that Iranian Americans should be advocating for? Um, sanctions are certainly needed on totalitarian regimes like uh, the Islamic Republic. Uh, I think uh, I have heard from so many uh, people inside the country, the people inside Iran uh, living under this pressure are uh, the ones who are telling us uh, this must continue not that they enjoy the pressure that, you know, the economic pressure that they are suffering, but they understand that to bring down this regime, uh, some kind of pressure is necessary. Um, uh, I think maximum, maximum pressure uh, policy was certainly necessary, but we believe that it is not alone sufficient to confront the regime. Uh, we propose something called uh, maximum support, which uh, we are currently formulating with our friends and experts here in Washington at NOFTI. And uh, we are gonna release that sometime uh, soon. I think that uh, sanctions in addition to uh, other things that the United States can do to confront the regime uh, can certainly protect US national security and also support the Iranian people as well. But sanction alone is not, uh, enough. I think the U.S. government should support the Iranian people in different shapes or form. I know that we all know that the U.S. government has many uh, capabilities to support uh, freedom movements around the world. It has done it in its history, and I, I think that they can do it again for uh, the Iranian people. Sure. And, and I want to ask you about your work at, at NAFTI. Uh, but first, a few audience questions. The first comes from Eric. He asks, the progressive Democrats have been pushing for an Iran nuclear deal, stating that it will stop Iran from getting the bomb as well as moderate the Iranian government. Please discuss why this is a failed policy. And do you believe the progressives are naive uh, or do they have a different agenda? Uh I remember back in uh, 2014, 2015, even the majority of Democrats uh, did not want to uh, support the deal, but uh, there was an office inside the White House uh, led by Ben Rods and some of uh, President Obama's assistants. They started a pressure campaign against so, so many of their fellow Democrats to uh, push them into supporting the deal, which ultimately they uh, succeed. Um, but there were some four or five, uh, you know, senators that did not support uh, the deal. 
But nowadays, they, 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 they're trying to revive the data. I feel like some of them are, are just trying to uh, revive their own legacy, uh, which was destroyed by uh, President Trump. And when we are saying, I mean, their talking points is that uh, the deal was working and the Iranian, uh, I mean, uh, President Trump pulled out of the deal. And my question is always, is this that the deal was working for who? For people in the Middle East? You know, right after uh, President Obama uh, sent billions of dollars to Iran uh, in 2015, if, if, if you remember, Bashar Assad's regime was on the verge of collapse. And the Iranian regime used that money to uh, save the Assad regime. Uh, you, you know how many people were killed. You know what kind of uh, impact did that have? You know, refugee crisis in Europe and and so on. And at the same time, around the same time, Iranian regime started the war in Yemen. Uh, they, uh, you know, accelerated their support for more than forty groups in Iraq, and uh, of course Hezbollah and Hamas. Uh, so that money was used to kill uh, and to create more bloodshed in the Middle East. And this data also is not supported by at least half of the population here in the United States. Uh, the US government should not pursue short-term goals and instead should uh, uh, pursue its foreign policy on a bipartisan uh, basis. In terms of the regime's obsession with uh, the nuclear bomb, Khamenei is never going to give up that aspiration. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, you know, there are some people who are really naive. They said that Khamenei issued a fatwa that, uh, you know, uh, nuclear bomb is haram. But just recently, a few days ago, uh, one of his uh, former advisors uh, uh, on TV admitted that Iran had always had the intention of creating a bomb. I think that when these people say these kind of things, we should believe them. Our next question comes from Richard Wilkins, who asks, what effect does Radio Farsi have in Iran? Uh, what could it do better towards transmitting the truth about the regime? Um, I'm not familiar with Radio Farsi. Uh, maybe he means the uh, uh, Radio Free Europe version in Iran. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, Radio Free Europe is uh, one of my favorites, uh, you know, uh, outlets uh, funded by the U.S. government. Uh, I, I have been a, you know, a fan for a long time. I think they are very professional, even though during President Trump era, Voice of America was President uh, Obama era, uh, uh, Voice of America Persian, which I grew up with, was basically destroyed. Uh, they didn't want to say anything that, you know, hurt the feelings of uh, the Iranian regime, but Radio Farda always remained professional, even during uh, uh, President Obama. And, and I think the US government should continue funding these, uh, you know, uh, uh, TV outlets, uh, news outlets for the Iranian people, and should expand on uh, democracy promotion projects, which just started during President Bush Era. But unfortunately, so many of these projects are infiltrated by uh, uh, people that are not, you know, good friends of uh, freedom-seeking Iranian people. Uh, there should be some kind of uh, monitoring on how 
they are spending the budget, whether they are you know uh, influential or not. But uh, in general uh, terms, I think that um, these programs have been very successful, and I think that I'm a success uh, story for Voice of America Persian. I was heavily impacted by that when I was a very young uh, man in Iran. Sure, I'm afraid that's all the time we're gonna have for audience questions. Apologize that we couldn't get to more of them. Uh, how can people stay in touch with you and learn more about your work at, at NUFTI? Um, NUFTI is a grassroots Iranian American organization based here in Washington, D.C. And we are dedicated, de dedicated to uh, mobilizing our community to support a human rights and democracy focused uh, U.S. policy towards Iran. Uh, so effectively, uh, we are the exact opposite of NIAC. And uh, um, we are humbly funded, but looking to grow and get more young Iranian Americans and also uh, our allies in our fight. So we hope to have the pleasure of working with many of you here. Um, you can uh, stay in touch with us through our you know, email uh, and our social media accounts. Uh, and and uh, you know, uh, I, I would be more than happy to work with uh, all of you in the future. Nabi, do you have an email you care to share or, or even a, a web page perhaps? Uh, yes. Let me. Uh, you know, we'll be sure actually get with me uh, after this closing. Sure. Thing. We'll be sure, sure to put that in the uh, uh, in the section on the video that we share. Sure, sure. But that's about thank all the time we have today. I do want to thank our guest Navid Mohebi for being with us today and discussing Iranian regime influence in the United States. Uh, it certainly sounds like he has his work cut out for him, and of course, we wish him all the best. Mr. Mohebi, um, thank you very much. This concludes our webinar today, um, and I have special thanks for our audience for watching. Please stay subscribed to the Middle East Forum for continued updates about future webinars, including Friday interviews with our project directors. Thank you, and have a great day. Thank you very much.